This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm really super duper excited to talk to our next author. Uh, she's a uh, award winning author, speaker, syndicated humor columnist. Uh, she does a little bit of everything and all of it really, really good. Of course, we're talking about uh, Tracy Beckman, and Tracy's going to talk to us a little bit about her latest book, Barking at the Moon. Story of life, love, and kibble. So we know what that's going to be about. So we're super duper excited to talk to Tracy. So everybody, hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. How many of you have pets? My hands raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join us now is award-winning author, speaker, syndicated humor columnist. She's been on NBC, CBS, all the stations. She's been up and down the, the dial, we'll say, for us old schoolers. We've got author Tracy Beckerman on the line and with us today. So, Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tim. I'm really happy to be here. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. appreciate it. We'll try to entertain and educate at the same time, which is a good juggling act. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about your latest book, Barking at the Moon, a story of life, love, and kibbles. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, the premise of the book and how it all came about. Sure. When our kids turned five and seven, we decided that the time was right to get a dog. And they've been begging for it. You know, it's like it was even a higher priority than Disney World. So we got this cute, sweet puppy who then just proceeded to destroy our house. So, you know, the book is partly about our time with Riley, who is the the star of this uh, story. But it's also about noticing how fast those years fly and making time, as Riley would say, to stop and smell the fire hydrants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. I know we were talking briefly offline and that time flies. And, and I think it's because animals have a purpose, as we know, and, and they're so focused. Uh, they're here to uh, not only provide love, but they got a nice purpose uh, that for being here and they focus on it. And then when that time's done or that body's no longer serving them, they're ready to move on. So uh, a lot to learn from our dog friends for sure. It's so crazy because our dog recently passed, not the dog in the book, but the next dog. And the next day we were walking outside and I looked up and there was this giant white cloud and one side of it looked like the face of our dog, who was also white. And it just, we're like, oh my gosh, he's looking at us from heaven and he's telling us he's okay. That's it. 
That's yeah. it. Well, you know, not to sidetrack from the book a little bit, but I do uh, have a lot of clients, a lot of consultations. And that's one of the things I talk about. I've seen this not only in my own experiences, but uh, with my clients time and time again, I do believe they come back around and make appearances and make themselves known. It could be in footsteps or warm places on the uh, the carpet or the bed, or <laughs> it, it could be barking. It could be a cloud in the sky. So I think they make themselves very well known to let us know that they're going to be here and our little uh, furry angels now. That's great. Yeah, well, you know, they make themselves very well known when they're here. So I'm not surprised <laughs> if they're doing it after the fact. My husband and I are walking around the, the house and we're still kind of avoiding the place where we know his bowls are because we don't want to trip over them, even though they're not there anymore. He was always underfoot and next to us and around us. And uh, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people got dogs during the pandemic. And there have been a lot of stories about that, these pandemic dogs, right? We already have our dog, but he really, I, I do understand what that was about because it's funny when we first got Riley, I thought that we were doing it for the kids and I didn't realize he was going to end up being my best friend, you know, my therapist. And uh, it was the same thing with Monty. And I realized that dogs are great no matter what stage of life you're in or what situation you're in, because they listen when you complain, right? right? They get excited when you're excited and they comfort you when you're sad and they'll stick by you no matter what. Um, unless they hear some food drop on the floor, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when that food drops on the floor, you know, where you really rank, are you, are you number right. one on the list or number two or three, maybe? <laughs> I guess it depends it, on what the food is. If it's lettuce, maybe not so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a sniff and then it's like, yeah, what, what is this? So when you, uh, when Riley came into your life, so obviously it's like you said, it's for, for the kids and, uh, Quickly, you learned that it was going to be a little furry soulmate for you, we'll say. At what point did you uh, realize that some of these crazy things that just drove you bonkers were actually kind of life's lessons in what you've you know, learned since that time? You know, it's funny because there was a parallel between uh, raising the dog and raising the kids, which kind of is this continuing theme throughout my book. The kids get older, there are new challenges. The dog gets older, there are new challenges. So I kind of looked at the dog experience the same way I looked at the kid experience. In the beginning, it was so overwhelming and it just felt like so much work. You know, puppies are adorable. Babies are adorable, but there's so much work. Yes, they um, are. Fortunately, you house, you know, you can house train your dog faster than you can ever potty train your kids. So for that, I was grateful. Although there's some stories in the book about how difficult that was with Riley. <laughs> he was he was a little house trained challenged, I think. But part of the problem was we were trying to house break him while we were in a hotel in the middle of a hurricane. Mm. So you have to read about that. It's a long story. But it was what I learned with the kids, but I learned with the dog is that it's the best thing you can do is have a sense of humor through all of this. You know, because if you take it too seriously and you get bogged down by all of the work, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you turn around and you say, oh, my God, that thing the dog just did that was so funny. That's where I started coming from. And then he became a lot of, you know, material for my syndicated <laughs> newspaper column. <laughs> and a lot of people responded to that because they could all relate. They're sweet, they're lovable, and they're very funny. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And and you're, you're right about, especially at the puppy stages, you know, I know from uh, one of my most recent pups that's uh, staring at me and not allowed in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we went, I think, 20 years between having, uh, you know, uh, dogs and pups, you know, we, we adopted dogs you know, yeah. that were one year old, one, 18 months, whatever it may be. So we hadn't had a pup since, uh, you know, our college days. And, and that was a 
well, maybe even longer than 20 years. You know how it is when <laughs> you yes. get, as time moves on. But uh, yeah, we thought, okay, this is the right fit. It's the one that chose us. So we have to go with this. And I love uh, yeah, we realized, uh, let's just say my my rear end got a little numb from sitting on the floor for hours on end, playing with the puppy and throwing the ball and getting the ball and throwing the ball and getting the ball. <laughs> oh, but that's great. I mean, that's what you do. And you, that's what you do with the kids. You get on the floor and you play with them. And that's what you do with the dog. You get on the floor and play with them until they're bigger and you can throw the ball out the back door and, you know, have them run and chase it that way. We had a golden retriever. The dog that just passed was a golden retriever. And Ma O'Reilly was a flat-coated retriever, which for people who don't know or haven't heard of them, looks like a black golden, basically. Same disposition, you know, same hair that sheds all over the place. <laughs> um, but, you know, the sweetest dog, once we kind of got past that crazy puppy stage, which lasted until he was about two years old. So <laughs> <laughs> The terrible twos, as I That's say, right. getting you know, through that. It's funny because my husband and I both grew up with dogs and it was a wonderful experience. So we wanted our kids to have the same experience. But the dogs that we grew up with were these calm, normal dogs and Riley was dogzilla. So, you know, our hectic young family got much hecticer. And we used to say in hindsight, we probably should have started with something more benign like a cobra. <laughs> exactly exactly and sometimes nowadays when I, when I talk to uh, talk to people and talk to clients and, and guests you know uh, they uh it's not just dogs and cats anymore you know it's it it could be the cobra it could be the you know the bearded dragon or the uh you know the lizard or the snake yeah, the yeah kids we, nowadays seem to be fascinated by all that we had all that we had the dog and we had this revolving fishbowl of goldfish and you know the, my kids would go to a street fair and they'd win a goldfish and bring it home and i'm like okay we have another pet now <laughs> at least for a couple of days we know how i know fair uh, you know what I'm, gl I'm glad you said it i wasn't going to say it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, they have hard lives yes we would have our you know our, our memorial services um around the burial at sea in the yes, bathroom you know yes. that whole thing okay so then my daughter got a chinchilla and my son got a beer, the dragon, which was my compromise after he asked for a tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, big hairy spiders. No, we're not no, going to do that. No, especially when they get out. They get That's out right. Oh, my God. Well, so you've, you've experienced all that. You've been through all that. Uh, all the of the it, plethora yeah. of furry, fin scaled friends. Exactly. And then, then the ones we didn't anticipate, like the mice that got into the house. And, you know, we went through a couple of. Uh, hamsters and a guinea pig and, you know, all of those sort of trial pets mm -hmm. before we got to the dog. It's funny because I think sometimes people get a dog as a trial before they have kids. Yes. You know, it's kind of like you start with the plant. Okay. If I can keep the plants alive, then I'll move on to like small animals and then I'll move on to a dog. Dog's doing great. Okay. Let's have the kids now. <laughs> and we kind of did the whole thing in reverse. We started with the kids then we went to the dog and we kind of worked our way down the chain, but uh, it was fun. It was a zoo, but it was a lot of fun. You know, I don't understand people who say, oh, no, no, we don't want to have any pets. It's like, how can you not have a pet? Yeah. Yeah. For the best things in the world. That's right. You know, it, it rounds out the family. And like you said, it, it dogs, uh, dogs or cats, but dogs in particular, you know, I always find that, uh, you know, they know the right and perfect time when to heal you. And like you said earlier, you know, when you're sad, they'll pick you up. They'll do something silly. Oh, or yeah. They're you, so intuitive. Yeah. If you trip and fall, they come and take a look at you and sniff and make sure that you're okay. And then they'll ask for the treat, of course, afterwards. <laughs> but they're going to check on you first. So, it's a, it's, I, I can't imagine it either. We've had our plethora of animals. I counted at one point, not now, but uh, at one point we had two dogs, um, two fish tanks, eight 
birds, one turtle, four rabbits, and we had uh, 13 feral cats that we trapped, neutered, and released, and they all wow. decided to make our home their home. So <laughs> <laughs> not, not so feral after all, huh? Not so feral. And then, of course, then, you know, uh, uh, my wife is a regular Ellie Mae Clampett, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, of course, the feral cats had to have uh, the garage propped open and have uh, heated beds and have, you know, places to lay. And it's like, yeah, the only thing that stopped them from coming in the house were the dogs and my, uh, my allergies to, uh, to cats, even though uh, I love, love cats. Yeah, my husband and my son have the same thing. It's funny because my kids have sort of have, I think that in the way that they've benefited from having pets is that they are so loving and open to animals now who need help. My daughter heard this mewing one day and she opened up the door to the house and there was this feral cat, big, huge, pregnant feral cat. And she just walked into the house, trustingly um, walked into my daughter's bedroom and gave birth <laughs> to six kittens. <laughs> and, you know, my daughter sat with her the whole time. And it's like, here's, here's a cat who maybe isn't so trusting of humans, but in this moment of her need, she came, she sought out my daughter, and she got the help that she needed. So the kittens are now eight weeks old. If you want one, let me know because they, <laughs> they still have two that haven't been adopted. Oh, my goodness. That's a, sort of um, uh, ours didn't come into the house to ha have their babies. But, uh, yeah, we had uh, the, the with the feral gang that we had, we had a uh, beautiful orange uh, cat. Charles and Charles kept showing up and I kept saying, oh boy, we're going to have to, okay, we'll feed him. Of course, then about a week later, he brought his three mistresses with him. <laughs> and then all, all of them, of course, each of those three were pregnant. And yeah, that's how we ended up with wow. 13, uh, 13 cats. And Charles uh, had a harem, huh? Yeah, he did. He got around. He's a man around town. That's for sure. <laughs> But I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it teaches uh, children about uh, caring and compassion and teaching them how to take care of others. And um, I think from our own standpoint, it sort of uh, expands our, you know, our reach a little bit more doing things for them and getting things back from them that we never you know, expected or, or yeah. knew would happen. You know, I think that the, the main thing that it, having a dog teaches kids is that uh, it's a good lesson in unconditional love. You know, it's like they don't expect anything back. They're not going to not love you for any reason. They may be mad at you, you know, <laughs> if you don't allow them on the bed or whatever. Our dog, Monty, used to turn his back on us when he didn't get what he wanted. He'd sit down with his back to us for, you know, like 10 minutes. And then finally he'd get over it and he'd come back over. It's like, okay, I forgive you now, <laughs> which we thought was hilarious. But I have to tell you, no one has ever looked at me the way that that dog did. And it wasn't just because I had dog treats in my hands. There was so much love in his eyes. And, you know, I just felt obligated to pay it back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good on you. Good on you. So when you put together the book, Barking at the Moon, was this uh, something where you collected stories? Like you said, wrote your syndicated columns and said, hey, this could be something interesting that people would like and benefit from. Or was it more of, okay, I'm going to sit down and uh, after all it's said and done and, and put together some sort of a nice, fun and uh, heartwarming tribute? Well, maybe a little bit of both, but I have to tell you, this was my pandemic book. <laughs> you know, people have different things that they accomplished during the pandemic. So aside right. from, you know, baking chocolate chip banana bread and eating chocolate chip banana bread and then looking like a loaf of chocolate chip banana bread, <laughs> I thought that, you know, it might be fun to do something that was actually uh, positive and beneficial <laughs> to the world. So I just started thinking, you know, what would that be? I had, was long overdue for another book. The last one had come out in 2013. And then I realized that my last book, Lost in Suburbia, A Mom War, kind of ended 
where this one pick, would pick up because my kids were then at the age three and five, and this is a couple of years later. And so sort of the natural transition for me into this next phase of my memoir life, which was the time that we had these pets and this dog. So I realized that that was the logical next step. And in terms of pulling together material, it was so easy, you know, because I mean, I had some of the columns to help me remember when things happened, but the stories, the time that we spent together just kind of came flooding out. And I think that that has so much to do with the impact that the dog has on your life. You know, if you ask me what my kids did when they were like five or seven, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> but if you ask me about the dog during that frame, that same time frame, I could, you know, just tell you lots and lots of stories about what happened then from the time that he was a puppy until, you know, the time that he became a much older dog. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, kudos on a, a good use of your time, a great use of your time <laughs> on that. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, then we'll come back and talk to uh, Tracy Beckerman a little bit more about the book, Barking at the Moon, and also want to pick her brain a little bit about writing, writing styles. How is it writing a syndicated column compared to putting together a, uh, a humor slash heartfelt book? So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our uh, wonderful conversation with award-winning author, speaker, and syndicated humor columnist, Tracy Beckerman, and her latest book, Barking at the Moon. So, Tracy, when people pick up a copy of the book and read through it and just thoroughly love it, what do you hope they walk away from? What was, it, was there a goal you had in mind or after you wrote it, you thought, okay, this is a good takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I really wanted them to real, I mean, it was partly educational. I wanted them to understand that it's really important to always have nature's miracle carpet cleaner on hand if you have a dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also to realize that another really important thing is to keep the cover of the garbage can on at all times. Um, so some real like serious life lessons in there, you know, but mostly what I wanted them to do was laugh, you know, especially this time, these last couple of years, it's just like, oh my gosh, everything is so, feels so oppressive and impossible and hopeless. And then, you know, so here's a, a book that you can read full of hope, full of joy and full of laughter. And isn't that exactly what we all need right now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a, a job well done on that for sure. The thing is when you, when you read through the book, your humor comes through and obviously you connect with Riley right away inside the book and those little life lessons come through. When we talk about writing, obviously you're a, 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 at such a young age, a seasoned veteran when it comes to writing. <laughs> such a young age. Oh my goodness. All right. Just say thanks, Tim, and move on. Thank you, Tim. 
<laughs> Talking about writing styles, you know, you mentioned earlier the book, you know, kind of came naturally because you had the, uh, the some columns that, that you've written and then you had the material. Obviously, you knew Riley very well, uh, these type of things. But what I find, what, the question I have for you is you could have so much material. How was it that you sorted through it and decide, okay, here's the start and here's the end. And what do I do with these other, you know, 20,000 great stories about Riley that I don't have no chance that my editor will allow me to put in this book because it's not, you know, war and peace. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I had these hundreds of columns and the first thing I did was I sent them all to an editor and I said, what do you, you know, pick like your top 20 or your top 40 because I want to weave a story together here. I don't just want to have a collection of columns. So, you know, she was merciless and she came back with the list. And I'm like, but what about the other one? It was so funny. And it was so, and she was like, ah, uh-uh. so, cause I really wanted to tell the story chronologically. It was important for me to show the, like I said before, the kids getting older and the dog getting older and those parallels. So that was like, that's the hardest thing when you're a writer is having somebody come back to you and say, you should take out this or you should change this because you feel like every single word you've put down on paper is gold (laughs) because it took so long for you to get it down on there. You know, they always show these comics and cartoons of, you know, these suffering writers in front of a a computer or a typewriter and a blank page or a blank screen and uh, them just feeling like they're never going to get anything written. And we've all been through that at some point or other. So we can look at it and laugh, but also maybe like, you know, react a little bit with um, fear (laughs) for the next time we have to write something. I've gotten really good at writing really fast. And that actually didn't start with my syndicated column or any of the books I've written. It started in my pre-writing life. Well, I mean, I was still a writer. I was a writer producer for um, Channel 2 News in New York, a promo producer. And so the things that I would write were these 30 second promos that usually started with tonight at 11, could your dry cleaners be killing you? Um, <laughs> so you're to blame for those. Okay. That's now me, I know that's who. Me. You know, they called me the queen of fear. I didn't actually think I had a funny bone in my body, but the reason that we had to write so quickly is that a lot of times they would come to us in the morning and say, we have the story that we want you to promote for tonight's news. So you know, I had basically like six hours to turn around a 30 second script and turn it into this wonderful promo. So you get really good, really fast. And I was able to take that same skill and use it in terms of creating a syndicated column. And the humor came out when I realized how funny my kids were. Something happened with my son one day at school and it was really funny. And for some reason, and I was a full-time stay-at-home mom at this point, but I wrote down the story. Yeah, you know, I embellished it a little bit and put some more humor into it. And then on a whim, I sent it to our local newspaper and they ran it. And they called me back and they said, do you have any more? And I'm like, more what, kids? <laughs> and they're like, no, more columns. I'm like, oh, was that a column? I was so naive. So I started doing it for this one newspaper and it was part of a bigger newspaper group. So their editors then contacted my editor and said, Hey, can we run Tracy's column too? So all of a sudden I was in seven newspapers and then I started marketing it and 50 newspapers in New Jersey, which is where I live. And then I got picked up by a huge newspaper group. And all of a sudden I was national. I was in 36 States and then 42 States and hundreds of newspapers And that was my gig for a long time, being lost in suburbia. And it was so successful because it resonated with so many other women who were home raising their kids and their dogs and their husbands, who are usually like another kid in the family. Yeah. And don't get me started on man colds either. (laughs) So 
it was relatable, you know, and, and the part about the dog was kind of like, oh, your dog yacked on the rug, my dog yacked on the rug mm -hmm. too, you know, and it was just something that anybody who had dogs or kids or pets or whatever, no matter where you lived, it was something that, that you'd experienced too. And to actually look at it from a humorous point of view, I think was really funny. I tell a lot of people, and this is going to age me terribly, but hopefully you have an, an older audience that my inspiration was really Irma Bombeck. Mm -hmm. You know, she wrote about family in a way that was humorous and very G rated. You know, I don't curse or talk about politics or religion or any of that stuff in my columns. So I had done this for about 10 years or so. And I was like, you know what? I really want to write a book. So the first book, which was called Rebel Without a Minivan, was very safe because it was a collection of my columns. But then I moved on to Lost in Suburbia, a memoir, and decided that was going to be the backstory to all of these columns. And that was a real challenge because when you spend your career writing 550 words, and then they tell you, you need 60,000 words to write right. a book. It's like, well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, I would like do a little chunk of the book and it would be 550 words. And, and the editor would come back and say, well, you need to really delve deeper into this. And I'm like, well, but that won't be funny. <laughs> so it was, um, it was really a time where I had to learn how to stretch and get, I actually had to, you know, take some classes and talk to some people about writing books because it did not come naturally to me. But by the time this one came along, I was like, oh yeah, I know how to do this. <laughs> there you go. It's great for those, uh, those folks out here that are listening that, that are writers or want to be writers or start writing and looking to, to publish, uh, whether it's a, you know, a column or a, you know, a book or whatever it may be is you, you've got to have these building blocks. Right. Well, I, I tell people a lot to start with blogs. You don't have a syndicated column. That doesn't matter. Write for a blog and then, you know, write for some other magazines or whatever it is, just so you have the experience of writing. It's a muscle, you know, you have to work that muscle. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember uh, quite a few years ago, I, I, I was invited to one of the local uh, junior high schools, uh, elementary slash junior high school, whatever that grade is, where they shift from one when they care about what their teachers say to when they don't care about what their teachers say, <laughs> oh, whatever right. grade that is. And it, you know, it was there to talk about you know, writing in general. And, uh, you know, I, I basically told told them, I said, you know, who here has you know written a story and keep your hand up and who here's written a blog, whoever's, you know, I, I whittled it all the way down to the most basic, you know, writing skills, even like texting, which is not much writing, but you know, it's something. And so I can get all the hands up in the air. Right. And I said, congratulations, you're writers. And they looked at me and smiled. The, the teachers were like, okay, why did we invite this guy in? That's <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get him not to text, not to you know do this. Right. But it's true. You've got to have these building blocks. And, and whether you're doing it for yourself or you put it in a blog or you know expand, put it in a uh, column or a magazine, you know, find these little av avenues to put them in. I think it's a great building block. So yeah. when you are ready to uh, you know to publish, you either got the material already or most of it. I feel like it's not just about building your writing skills. It's really about building your confidence. Because, you know, you start out and you're like, oh, I don't know if this is very good. Maybe I should just publish it for free because, you know, I'm not really a writer. And I'm like, from the minute you put that word down, you are a writer. And um, you deserve to be paid for that, too. I mean, don't get me started on this whole thing about, you know, writing for exposure. Um, <laughs> well, my theory on writing for exposure is if you keep writing for exposure, you will be exposed because you won't have any clothes on your back or a house to live under. Or... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I said, totally if, you, if you're writing and it's being published, you should be paid for it. Absolutely. 
you know, because exposure doesn't pay the rent. That's it. That's it. And I love how you said it, you know, how it sort of parlays in, into these opportunities. You write, you know, uh, you find an opportunity to write or someone, you know, approaches you to write a column or write, you know, some little ditty and you do that. And the next thing you know, two or three more and then two or three more. And then all of a sudden you're writing on a regular basis and getting paid for it. And, and like you said, uh, it being very smart and intelligent and a great marketer, you know, you're like, hmm, I can make more money if I can get this out even further. So let's, right. let's put it out there. Well, you know, when you're a writer, you have to not only be a writer, but you also, like you said, you have to be a marketer and you have to be a researcher and then you have to um, be an accountant, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, a lot of people kind of wait for it to come to them. Um, and, you know, I say when I'm teaching at conferences, it's like you have to be aggressive. You know, you are your own um, advocate and you have to go out and look for these opportunities and make a case for why somebody should want to run your column or your story or whatever it is going to be. And that is really uncomfortable for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people for writing, it's kind of, it's an isolated introvert experience. And it's great because I don't have to see anybody. I don't have to talk to anybody. You know, these are the same people who are like, you know, I have to stay home for the pandemic. I'm okay with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, being aggressive in terms of marketing yourself and your work is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. So you kind of have to get over that hump. And that's part of the confidence thing that I was talking about before. Yeah, I think it's very important. It's a very good point you bring up because you do have to, you know, it's not like uh, the olden days, you know, right. they, they don't come knocking at your door and give you a nice, uh, you know, advance on the book and uh, send you out <laughs> on a whirlwind book tour. And <laughs> nowadays, yeah, if you get any fraction of that, you're, you're doing pretty well for yourself. But I know, advance, that's funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's such an old terminology nowadays. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, we're definitely excited about it. Tracy so much. Thanks for coming on the show. You know, where can people find out more about you and all the wonderful activities you got going on, all your books, all the columns, all that great stuff? Okay. Well, this is, this is really easy. Go to tracybeckerman.com and you will find me. You can also go to lostinsuburbia.com or any iteration of any of those because I own all of those URLs to make sure that you can find me pretty easily. And I also have a bio on Amazon. You can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any bookseller online to buy the book. You can order it and have it sent to your home, or you can download it to Kindle. There's an e-version. And people keep telling me I need to do an audible version of this. So I think that that will be forthcoming. But in the meantime, yes, go buy the book. It'll make you laugh. And if you are a dog owner, it'll make you smile with recognition and warm your heart. Absolutely. That will, it definitely will do that. The book is Tracy Beckerman's book, Barking at the Moon, a story of life, love, and kibble, of course. So everybody go pick up a copy and get an audio, follow Tracy on all of her wonderful sites and such old school, tracybeckerman.com. So that, that works out fantastic. So uh, Tracy, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. We look forward to uh, hearing more from you and seeing you some more down the road. Thank you so much for having me on. By the way, if you come to my house, I'll be standing outside giving away cookies and selling copies to people too. There because, you go. Because I'm an author and that's what we do. We do those kinds of things to sell books. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you're eating your profits when you're making, what was it? The chocolate chip? Uh, the chocolate chip banana bread. Yeah. Eating up all your profit. Come on. You got to cut that up and sell it on the sidewalks. Come that's on. That's a good idea. No, I'll give it away. <laughs> you buy the book, you get my banana bread. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Fantastic. Tracy, thanks again and uh, best of luck. Congratulations on the book and we'll talk again real soon. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, we're uh, coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. If you have any uh, questions, comments, or ideas for the show or people you want to hear from on the show, you can drop us a line. It's at PetLifeRadio.com. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful uh, shows and hosts. It's a cornucopia of fantastic entertainment. So check it out at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, put it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.